1: It's 2020, and surfing the web is dead. All the horror news you need is now just one click away. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the Internet. You'll also find deep dives and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria vault. Check out Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code POSTMORTEM for 15% off right now. From director Joe Begos comes Fangoria's latest movie, VFW. It's like John Carpenter directed an Expendables movie, except with a lot more mutants, drugs, insanity, and heart. A group of war veterans must defend their local VFW posts and an innocent teen against a deranged drug dealer and his relentless army of punk mutants. The cast includes pretty much anyone who was ever in something you rented at Blockbuster. Stephen Lang, Martin Cove, William Sadler, Fred the Hammer Williamson, George Wendt, and David Patrick Kelly. Now streaming on demand, so get on it. I'm Mick Garrison. Welcome once again to the fun size postmortem AMA where you can ask me anything. And our surrogate for asking your questions of me is producer Joe Russo. Joe, how are you? I'm well, Mick. How are you? Oh, never better, thanks very
0: much. Should we jump in? Let's jump. All right. Old Geek Velasco writes, (laughs) Many only know Max Wright from ALF and, sadly, the tabloids. I think he was a very good actor. Can you talk about working with him on The Stand?
1: Well, he was a very good actor. I never really watched ALF um you weren't an elf
0: fan uh, no aliens uh, eating cats and such but it
1: was (laughs) it was on like it shared the hour with amazing stories when it came out oh wow i didn't realize yeah, yeah amazing stories was on at 8 and Alf was on at 8.30 and uh, Amazing Stories (laughs) tanked and Alf became a big hit. But um, so I don't know the tabloid stories about Max Wright.
0: I wasn't sure either.
1: Um, And I didn't know there were any, but he didn't work long on the stand. He was great. He was a little spacey, a little comedic. Um, But a very nice guy, but we never really got the chance to work much. So uh, together, he was only there for a handful of days. Um, so I, I don't have any really good Max Wright stories as much as I would like to tell some.
0: I remember one of the first things I ever worked on when I moved to Los Angeles. My boss wanted me to put together a bunch of information because he wanted to do a remake of ALF. Oh,
1: uh, good. <laughs> How do you do it without the original
0: Alf? I, I that, know it that was Muppets. Yeah, honestly, the rights are really weird. The creator is very like uh, protective of it. And anyway, well, I don't well know if we're should. ever going to see uh, an Alf remake. Yes, but, uh, the rebooted Alf. It seems like it's surprise, surprising. and it hasn't been. Watch for Apple uh, Plus. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, all right, next. Zach asks, "Are there any master of, uh, masters of horror episodes that you love and revisit?"
1: I don't revisit much because I, I lived them so fully when right. we were making them and when they aired and the like.
0: Well, you also went on like that festival tour and right. showed them too. Right. So, so you,
1: we did a I've seen a lot of them on the big screen. And yeah. that still happens when I go to festivals. Sometimes they will screen episodes of the show. Um, well, they are but one there, are movies. Some, there are some that... I think could use a um a reminder a lot of the people don't remember they remember the Carpenters and they remember the Takashi Miike, and they remember Toby Hooper right. but um for example there's one called Sounds Like that uh Brad Anderson did right. that nobody ever talks about and it's one of the my very favorites yeah. uh Stuart Gordons the Black Cat Maybe, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's the best episode of the series ever. Wow, wow. Um, just every every one-line actor is fantastic. These characters and their faces yeah. and the writing and everything. So, you know, there were 26 of them. Mm-hmm. I love them all. Yeah. And they're all so varied. You know, it's why I love the anthology format. So, but uh, it's been a while since I've watched any at home. Yeah, I um, feel
0: similarly about Nightmare Cinema. People ask me to pick a favorite, and it's like you have to—it's like choosing amongst your kids, right? Well, obviously, it's right. dead, right? <laughs> of course, <laughs> so, of course. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. the, the smart answer is it depends on which filmmaker I'm sitting with. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Same here. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, there's the second part to Zach's question, uh, which is a little bit meatier, which is. Uh, is there a particular reason why you didn't direct an episode of Fear itself? We've, okay,
1: that's a bigger story. Yes,
0: it is. We've we've covered that before, but I don't yeah. think particularly why you didn't direct an episode.
1: Well, the episode that I wrote was for me to direct, mm. and it was based by a sh- uh, on a short story by Del Howison and uh, it was going to be called... Dark
0: dark Delicacies? Yeah, the
1: owner of Dark Delicacies, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the short story, but I called it Red Snow, and then it became The Homecoming or something. I forget what the title was. But, you know, it was not a good situation, and the reason I didn't direct it was because I quit the show before it went into production. Right. There was a lot going on, Uh, The owners of Masters of Horror sold the rights to another company, and that company sold the rights to NBC, and it became a commercial network with uh, censorship issues, with advertising issues, everything that we set out to make in spite of, without, you know, to just do it boldly, pay TV, no restraints put on the filmmakers, that sort of thing, and... We had developed all 13 of the scripts. We were ready to go. The writer's strike was just about to happen. It happened that Halloween back then. And they said, we have a strike-proof show because (laughs) we'll just go to non-Guild writers after the strike. (sighs) And when that happened, I quit the show with heavy heart, feeling like my baby had been kidnapped and raped. And uh, so the episode that I wrote for myself to direct was directed by someone else
0: yeah and that's how it happened that's how it happened
1: so (laughs) so no great love for fear itself from me but despite there was some good work by some good people Stuart gordon in particular his episode eater was pretty fantastic
0: yeah the fear itself has its fans Uh, It it does uh well i guess dealing with uh on on the note of dealing with difficult situations and producers and such. The, the next question, Richard Humphreys asks, uh, have you had to deal with people who've read your script or watched your dailies and suddenly decided they wanted or were expecting a wholly different film? If so, how did you handle it, and how, would you, how should aspiring filmmakers watch out for this kind of situation?
1: Well, I think you need to have a pretty good grasp of what your movie is and have been able to share with the powers that be what the movie is that you're making. So I've never really had anybody read something and then we're in production and I'm making a movie a certain way and they go, wait, 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 this isn't what we were expecting. Yeah, It's happened after the fact, for example, when we were making Sleepwalkers, um, it King's script always had the incest issues, Mm -hmm. and it really went for it. And just, I don't think anybody noticed because it had Stephen King's name on it. Sure. But while we were making the movie, Frank Price was the head of Columbia Pictures at that time. And he said, well, there's never going to be a Columbia movie with a boy having sex with his mother as long as I'm at this studio. Yeah. Well, halfway through shooting, he got booted out of the studio. And, and Mark came, uh, Canton, who became one of the producers of Nightmare Cinema, yes. came in and replaced him.
0: He has more flexible values. Well, he
1: <laughs> 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 let's not get back into Rob Zombie Land with uh, <laughs> those issues. But but no, uh, it was already a fait accompli. By the time he was on board, the film was half, half shot. And uh, he saw it finished, or he saw the first cut of it when we screened it in a projection and he said, oh, 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 it's that kind of movie. Oh, okay. And it was like, well, this is already done. Go, go with God. Right, you know, and, right, right, right. And it right. went there. So, but... There has never been an issue where what I was making was was so at odds with the people who were either funding or distributing it that I had to deal with it in that way.
0: It definitely I've heard stories and it happens and it can be Oh, I'm sure. Really, really problematic, especially when you get in a post. But I think to answer the question about how do you avoid it, I think you just have to be so cognizant and make sure that everyone is on board and understands what you're doing.
1: Well you gotta be confident and clear about what your intention is. Right. And, you know, if you have to give examples of movies that are similar or yep. or or scenes or characters or whatever. But I, I just think you have to to be a good storyteller in a room as mm-hmm. well as on the screen and just convey that is your job, after all, is to convey a story to an audience, whether yeah. it's executives or uh, uh, in a
0: movie theater. I think it can also be harder too when you are directing something for hire, as opposed yeah. to like when when I mean, you have a superpower; you can write, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. you can you can convey what your intentions are on the page, which. I mean it can be brilliantly helpful in just getting everyone on board. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, but uh, even more than that, communicating, you don't have to be able to be a writer to to communicate what the visual approach is going to be or the you know, if it's going to be a ferocious film or right. or how it's going to be presented. Josh
0: Atkinson asks, "How would you advise someone me <laughs> who has just finished his first horror feature?" Uh, to go about getting it seen by the industry i 've submitted early bird to good horror festivals, but other thoughts uh for people without industry connections getting their movie out there
1: well, the festival circuit is the best possible way, yep.
0: but there 's
1: also the the actual system you go to agencies, yeah, try to get appointments with any agencies. The boutiques sometimes are easier to approach, but the The major agencies, the WMEs and the CAAs and the UTAs and all those, they are looking for new talent. And if you've made a feature film um, that has promise that they feel they can make money off of you from, then that's uh, a really good way to do it. The most accessible way is the festivals. Yeah. but. You know, everybody well, has different tastes. I think,
0: yeah, I mean, well, the, the problem too is the festivals can have their own politics as well in terms of what they pick up and how they Absolutely. pick them up. And yeah, you know, and I think that I think the the key words in his question that he needs to change is without industry connections, he's got to get out here and network. You know, yeah, uh,
1: nobody starts with industry connections. No, you know, no. Uh, you you have to create them. But it all comes through the quality of your work. Yep. Now, if you do good work, you also have to be good in a room right. for people to want to trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to show the confidence uh, that an artist has who is going to be in control of 60 to 100 people in the making a, of a motion picture. Under real circumstances, if you made your movie on an iPhone and and cut it on your iPad and all that, it might be great or it might be amateurish. You have to show—you can't tell them, I only made this for $5,000 because they're looking at movies by people who spent $5 million. It just has to be really good, not Mm. really good for this, really good for an amateur, really good for this budget.
0: I agree. Uh, I, I would also suggest not just cold calling the agencies because sometimes no. those can just go to spam filters. But uh, there are um, some services online. There's there's a company called Roadmap Writers for example, where you can actually pay a small fee and pitch to executives and agents and managers. But I'd and be
1: careful about that because there are a lot of people who exploit writers. Well, actually, this is a good appraisers. one. No, no I that one, that's good. But be cautious and make sure that there are reputable yeah. services mm-hmm. that do have those affiliations. Well, the great
0: thing is they show you who the people are, what companies they're at, what their bios <clears> are. So you have the ability to kind of pick and choose who you want to right. pitch to. Uh, and also they're, they're on, they just got their 96 writer signed by a major awesome. uh, agency or management company. So it's just, that, that might be a good way to just, if you, if you don't live in LA and you can't foster those relationships, if your movie is good yeah. and you can pitch, Uh, they give you eight minutes to pitch your heart out, and maybe you get your movie in front of them. That's
1: great, and it's great to know that there are companies that do that that are above board. Yes. But there is a huge cottage industry of taking advantage of Hollywood hopefuls. It's
0: probably the only one I would recommend. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, all right. Uh, Our main topic for today, go nerd yourself, writes... Batteries Not Included has the spirit Uh. of an Amazing Stories episode, a series (laughs) in which a number of Batteries talents were involved, including you, Brad Bird, Matthew Robbins, and of course, Steven Spielberg. Uh, Can you elaborate on how this film came about and was it ever pitched for Amazing Stories?
1: Well, that's a very astute observation because it originally was an Amazing Stories episode. Wow. makes Uh, sense. (laughs) Steven Spielberg came up with the idea, called it Gramps and Grammy and Company, and asked me to write the script. And then he decided that, you know, I want to make this a feature. Yeah. I think the idea is good enough to make it into a movie. And I'm gonna do a couple movies. I, I, I want to offer you your first opportunity to write a feature film for me when wow. I was at Amblin working wow. on Amazing Stories. And so the choices were Batteries Not Included, mm-hmm. or Gramps and Grammy and Company at, at the time, yeah or Ghost Kid. Mm. Ghost Kid became Ghost Dad with, with Bill, Bill Cosby. Cosby. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but Your he gave well. me the choice. And yes, I chose that one. But I, I had an idea for Ghost Kid that they didn't use, and anybody yeah. can, and I maybe I will one day. Sure. That because the kid could not be seen in the daylight because he was a ghost, you could only see them at night, he would wear makeup. Mm. So that he could become visible. And my idea was that he walks through a wall and it leaves the makeup kind of a harlequin face on oh, the wall cool. that he walked through. Yeah. The, it was just a visual gag that yeah. Stephen yeah. really liked and, and never ended up in Ghost Dad. I'm surprised
0: it never ended up in anything. It's a really great idea. Uh- <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
1: you know, if somebody doesn't steal it from this podcast, <laughs> yeah. then I'll maybe you just put it out into the ether. Yeah, so, it's in the uh... ether. So there'll be eight movies with that. <laughs> But um, yes, so I wrote the first couple of drafts of the screenplay. And here I'm going to be very open and honest about this. My first draft was 140 pages long. And so Stephen read it and said, you know, I had to read this in three sittings. And that's not good. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I'm taking this to heart. Yeah. And yeah. I did. I went back and rewrote it and turned it into 110 pages or something, really tight, and created some rules for myself: no blocks of, of description that are longer than five lines long. Good. That's um, good no big giant paragraphs that nobody reads. They'll if you put those blocks of of scene description, action description on a page. They just skip to the dialogue when they're reading it. Yes, they do. Um, And, you know, fear was a great motivator. I didn't want to disappoint (laughs) Steven Spielberg, who gave me my first opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So then I put it on a diet and really put my all into it, and uh, it got the green light off of my draft. Wow. And then when he brought in Matthew Robbins to direct it— Robbins brought in Brad Bird ah, yeah. and both of them had written my first episode I'd written for Amazing Stories, The Magnet Kid, mm. a magnetic attraction or the main attraction it was called. The right. original title was The Magnet Kid, a story idea by Spielberg again. Yeah, um, But uh, so they did a rewrite on that. So when the Writers Guild did their decision that I would get story credit uh, and they would get screenplay credit. Mm. It should have actually been story by Steven Spielberg and me, right. but Steven being such a generous guy and was so happy with the job I had done, eventually, <laughs> that uh, he said, Mick, I want you to have this on your own because well, they're getting screenplay amazing. credit. Yeah, that's so, amazing. And, yeah.
0: and, you know, I mean, uh, him giving that to you and giving that up is, is great. And I'm surprised, actually, usually the guild... It's it's unusual for them to push the original writer back, but... Well, eh, eh. this was the proposal,
1: and yeah. I didn't fight it. Right. You know, right. I didn't say, oh, I should get more sure, credit. Sure, Because I was new, and right. I had come... In my first season on Amazing Stories, where I was story editor, I did a complete page one rewrite on one of the scripts. Right. But it was credited to the the original writer on the script. Right. And so I was told you know we're team players here so let's let it go this way and i didn't realize that um the the people who told me that um were kind of breaking writers guild rules by doing that and i was new and and still right here's an opportunity to get a story by credit or, or uh you know Whatever credit on a Steven Spielberg absolutely. production, it's
0: a, it's a beloved it, movie, was a big hit at the time. And yeah, and look, if so, you're going to be written by anybody, let it be Brad Bird, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> and now Brad
1: Bird, nobody really knew who he was then, sure. Uh, but he did wrote and directed a backdoor pilot for Amazing Stories called Family Dog, which yeah. did become a series <laughs> later on. So Brad really came out of the animation world and went back there, right. and then came back to live action again. <laughs>
0: The uh, the but no I think it's I think it's amazing because just being able to take a script from or from an idea and getting the green light I mean that's that's an amazing process and to do yeah. it with Steven Spielberg kind of guiding the hand yeah
1: to do it with Universal and Amblin yeah. and Spielberg and the that whole and big that prime machine. time yeah. too yeah. and so that you know amazing stories and that and and the writing of what became Hocus Pocus which yep. didn't get made until eight uh, eight years after I wrote it. You know that was really the beginning of my career.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great note, a great answer, and,
1: uh, <laughs> on which to end. On <laughs> which to end another great yeah. AMA. You can send your questions to producer Joe at Joe Russo tweets and Joe Russo Graham, or to Mick Garris PM at either Twitter or Instagram. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Post Mortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.